Sand beneath feet, burning sun above, miles behind, miles ahead, striving for a promised land. Words spoken long ago echo in the mind. Is it true? Is it real? Or do we walk in vain? Past dusty dune and rock, we continue ever on. Remember him. Recall his words. Consider all he has done. Cling to the promise. Hold to what is true. He is Lord. He is here. We are not alone. Sand beneath feet. Burning sun above. Miles behind. Miles ahead. Trusting in the promise. Adam and Eve's mistrust of God and broken relationship with him allows the devastation of sin into the newly created world. Before long, God can find almost no goodness in humanity. Grieved beyond imagining, God knows there is only one way to redeem humanity, and that is to begin again with faithful Noah. As the years pass, God calls a descendant of Noah named Abram to leave his home for a distant land. He promises to make Abram's family into a blessed nation who will in turn be a blessing to all the earth. Despite the fact that he and his wife are too old to have children, Abram trusts God with this promise. As they arrive in the land of Canaan, 
God makes a covenant with Abram and renames him Abraham. He renews his promise to give Abraham and Sarah a child, and in time, the elderly couple is blessed with a son, Isaac. Isaac, in turn, becomes the father of twin boys, Esau and Jacob. Jacob is far cleverer than his brother, and not once, but twice, tricks Esau. Fearing Esau's revenge, Jacob flees to the wilderness, where he encounters God in a dream, and upon waking, promises to serve God the rest of his life. Several years later, God renames him Israel. Jacob becomes the father of 12 sons, his favorite being Joseph. Sold into slavery by his own brothers, Joseph is then taken to Egypt, where he is unjustly thrown in jail. From there, God enables Joseph to rise from destitute prisoner to Pharaoh's right-hand man. When his brothers come to him for help, Joseph shows incredible forgiveness and invites their whole family to live in Egypt. Several generations later, however, a new pharaoh arises who sees the blossoming Israelite population as a threat. He enslaves them, forcing them to work brutal hours in the desert sun. In their anguish, the Israelites cry out to the God of their ancestors. God hears their cry and calls forth a fugitive shepherd named Moses to rescue them. Moses goes to Pharaoh with the Lord's decree to let the Israelites go, but Pharaoh refuses. Only when his own son dies as a result of his stubbornness does Pharaoh finally allow the Israelites to leave. Rejoicing, the Israelites depart to return to the land God promised their ancestors. The journey is not easy. Complaints soon rise up from the people. They even voice a desire to return to slavery. Despite their mistrust, God continues to guide and provide for them. He declares he wants to make a covenant with them, as he did their ancestor Abraham. The people's immediate response is an enthusiastic yes, but they quickly forget their promise and almost immediately resort to the kind of idolatrous worship they witnessed in Egypt. Moses rebukes the people, telling them they have disobeyed God and made themselves into a laughingstock. Upon reaching the edge of the promised land, Moses sends out a group of spies who discover that while Canaan is rich and prosperous, its inhabitants are fierce. Of the twelve spies sent, only Caleb and Joshua remain unafraid of what all they've seen. The others spread fear among the people, so much so that the Israelites refuse to enter the promised land. They prove they are yet not ready to follow God fully, And he declares they will have to now wander in the desert for 40 years. God's people endure hardship and attack for the next decades, even as God continues to be with them. At the end of the 40 years, Moses must establish Joshua as the people's new leader. Moses then ascends a mountain so he can die with his eyes upon the promised land. This new generation of Israelites has little to no memory of Egypt. These are ones who have seen God do the miraculous and learn to trust his provision and protection each day. With Joshua to lead them, they are finally ready to make this new land their home. All right, good morning, everybody. How is everyone? 
Well, it's good to be back here. I was here in July and had a great time, and it's always uh, great when you get invited back somewhere. It means you didn't come in and mess everybody's house up when they let you come back to their house a second time. So it's good to be here. Um, I got tricked into this message, I think, uh, because for those of you that don't know a lot about the Bible, um, basically what Greg did is said, hey, can you come and in 30 minutes cover 800 years of history? And... Uh, you know, what it reminds me of, and, and he kind of explained, like this series, it's going to be, you know, six weeks long and we're going to cover the whole Bible in six weeks. And then when I realized the piece that he asked me if I would come and teach, it's kind of like when you have a friend who says, do you want to come over and help me paint my house? And you say, sure, I'd love to. And then you get there and they just show you, here's the paintbrush and here's the paint and then they leave. And then what they meant was, can you come paint my house for me? And so I'm here to cover this big, massive piece of the story today. And what I want to do is I want to try uh, to not get bogged down here because really and truly this is about 200 and I, I just looked before I came up. This amount of the story is 231 pages of the Bible. And so that's a lot of story to cover in a very short period of time. So what I want to do is I want to really dial in on a couple of significant things that have to do with Abraham and Moses. And then I want to help you to see how this connects to the greater story of Jesus and ourselves. So what I want to do is I want to first take a step back to last week to where you saw this part of the story that is really the beginning of everything, which we see this story of creation and then the fall. And I want you to understand how this all connects together with where we go this week. So last week you saw that God had created the world and that the world was perfect and it was good. And he had created two humans, Adam and Eve, who were going to rule this world by listening to the voice of God. They were going to rule under him. And so, in a sense, Adam and Eve are going to rule in the image of God by listening to the voice of God. And as long as they do that, the world will look the way that God wants the world to look. The problem is, is that Adam and Eve choose to rebel against God. And that's what sin is. Sin is just rebellion against God. And so Adam and Eve choose to rebel. And their rebellion comes in the form of their stopping this process that God has in which they rule by listening to God and instead they choose to listen to the voice of the serpent and by listening to the voice of the serpent it throws all of creation and humanity into a big mess a big downward spiral so that what we can say now is is that every ruler in the world is one who in some way or another is someone listening to the voice of the serpent rather than to the voice of God. Because for you and I, there are a thousand things that we could do today that would be disobedient to God. But for Adam and Eve, there was really only one thing, and that was don't eat from this tree. And when they did, this one act of disobedience meant that they had stopped listening to the voice of God and started to listen to the voice of the serpent. Well, for us, all right, it's impossible to say that every ruler in the world can only disobey God in one way. There are thousands of ways that rulers and ourselves can disobey God every day. And so every ruler in the world is in some way or another ruling in the image of the serpent rather than the image of God. And so we're left with a question. And the question is, what is God going to do about this problem? Because when Adam and Eve sinned, what happened is, is they ushered evil into the world. 
And when they ushered evil into the world, along with evil came the power of sin and Satan and death to rule over us and to enslave us. And so the question becomes, how will God deal with the problem of evil in the world? How will he, how will he conquer these evil forces? How will he defeat sin and Satan and death so as to liberate his people and to liberate the entire creation? And so the answer to that comes along in Genesis chapter 12 when God calls this man Abram to be the one he will use to bless the entire world. And so the call of Abram, who's later going to be called Abraham, is God's answer to the problem of evil. So we begin in chapter 12, verse 1, with these words. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Now I want you to notice a couple of things about this call of Abram. Because you're going to see a theme here today. And this theme is going to be found in the very first word. The word go. God shows up and the very first thing he says to Abram is this. Go. Now you have to realize at this point... Abram is not a person who we would consider that, you know, there is no Israel at this point. There is no covenant relationship that God has with Israel or with his people or with any people at this point. And so what we find in the very beginning is, is that this is the first word ever spoken to what will become the nation of Israel. And it's the word go. He shows up. He doesn't say, hi, Abraham, my name is Yahweh. You don't know this, but I'm the creator. He doesn't introduce himself. He doesn't say anything. He just shows up and says, go. Now, go is a word that has something to do in some sense with an act of obedience that's going to have to take place. And what he does is he presents to him this sort of negative picture of things first by saying, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Notice he doesn't begin with the positive, go to the land I will show you. He begins with this negative aspect of the going. Go from everything you know. That's not the way you try to get people to do things. You try to get people to do things by telling them all the positive stuff first, and then you kind of tell them the not so good afterwards. And so, you know, I, I, I sometimes... I get these letters in the mail or these phone calls and they say, you know, hey, guess what? We're going to uh, take you and your wife on a seven-day cruise. And you say, oh, wonderful. This is great. And they say, it's free. Oh, this is really good. And they say, yeah, and so all you need to do is just show up and uh, we're going to take you on a cruise and it's for seven days. And if you decide to go, then what happens is you get on the boat and you're looking around and it's wonderful and everything's great. And they're saying, and tomorrow morning when you wake up, the boat is going to be docked right here in Cancun. It's going to be crystal clear blue water and it's going to be beautiful. And you say, wonderful. And then you get to the crystal clear blue water of Cancun and you're thinking to yourself, we're going to go snorkeling, we're going to go to the beach, it's going to be wonderful. And then they say, oh, and for coming on the cruise, you need to come sit and listen to this timeshare meeting that we have today. And you say, well, wait a minute, hold on, what about the crystal clear blue water thing? I wanted to do that thing. And then, no, no, you need to come listen to the timeshare. And if you don't come listen to the timeshare presentation, then you need to give us the full cost of this ticket. And suddenly you say, this was a trick. 
I didn't want in on this thing. Why didn't you tell me this from the beginning? If you would have told me from the beginning, if you would have called and said, we'd like you to get on a boat and sit in a room and listen to a presentation, you'd say, I'm not going to do that. But when God shows up, he says to Abraham, I want you to go. And I'm not going to tell you where we're going. I'm just going to tell you that we're going and you have to act on faith and obedience to go with me. And what we see here is something that is a principle that matters in an important way to all of our lives. And that is this, that faith is always disruptive and it's always unsettling. When you trust God in the present moment of your life for something in the future, it's always disruptive and unsettling. When God says, I want you to go, and I want you to go from your family, from your friends, and from the place you live, and I want you to go to the land I'll show you, and you say, well, what if I don't like that land? What if I want to know where we're going in advance? And God says, you don't get to know in advance. You don't get to know where we're going. You don't get to know when we're going to be there. All you get to know is, is that I want you to go. That's disruptive and that's unsettling and it takes a huge act of faith, a significant willingness to trust God to be willing to go do that when God calls you to go. And when all he gives you is, I'm going to take you to a particular land, you don't have a lot to go off of. The only thing you have to go off of is this, God will be with me. That's the only promise you have. And that's the reason that you act on faith, even when you're unsure of the results or the outcome, because the outcome and the results are not as important as the person who's with you on the journey. And the person who's with you on the journey of faith is God. And so God says to Abram, I want you to go, and here's what I'm going to tell you. This is the promise. I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. I will bless you, and as a result of my blessing you, you will be a blessing. And now we begin to see the way God is going to answer the problem of evil in the world. God is going to choose Abram, and he's going to build a this people are going to come from Abraham. And that's going to be the nation of Israel. And through Israel, the world will be blessed. The world will be redeemed, and evil will be dealt with. But it will come through this person, Abraham, and his obedience. And so Abraham has to obey God. The world is looking for an answer to evil, and the answer is going to come through an act of unsettling faith that is disruptive to the life of this man. But why shouldn't faith be disruptive and unsettling? Because you see, the answer to evil is an answer that's disruptive and unsettling, but evil is disruptive and unsettling. You see, evil has disrupted the entire world. Evil has unsettled the entire world. The reason some of us go to bed at night and we don't sleep well because we worry about other people is because evil has unsettled their lives and our lives. And it will take an act of faith that is disruptive and unsettling to unravel this disruptive, unsettling evil in the world. And so Abraham is called, and it's through Abraham, this call of Abraham, that the world is going to be blessed. And so now God has a people. And then you fast forward way into the future, and you come to this guy named Moses. And we're going to look at Exodus chapter 3, because what happens is, is that Moses comes along because God's people that he's called 
Abraham has a son Isaac. Isaac has a son Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. And Israel has 12 sons. And these 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. And then Israel, as a nation, winds up in Egypt in slavery. And they're in slavery. They're calling out for a deliverer. If Israel is to be this people through whom God will redeem the world, well, what do we do when Israel's in trouble? What do we do when Israel needs to be saved, in a sense, from out from the, under the, the evil, oppressive rule of this world's ruler named Pharaoh? And so God, again, calls someone, and again, he calls someone to go. And this time, it's the call of Moses. And so we read these words. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer. God said, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So... I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh. To bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is you I have sent. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. I want you to notice that when God comes to Moses... Again, he comes to a person who's minding their own business. This guy is just out trying to chase around his father-in-law's goats and sheep. And he's just minding his own business. And suddenly there's a bush and it's on fire. And there's a voice speaking. And next thing you know, he's getting barefoot. And he's laying there saying, what in the world is going on? And God tells Moses, listen very carefully. He says, hey, I've heard the cry of my people. And watch, I'm going to deliver them. Glad you're going to do that, God. And so go and deliver them. What? Hold on. You just said you were... Let me just make sure I read this. So I have come down to rescue them. That's good. So burning bush, let's go. Go do it. No. I have come down to rescue them. So now go. I'm sending you. Me? What? You're sending me? I don't want to do this. This is horrible. Do you understand what you're asking me to do? You're asking me to go to the most powerful ruler in the world and say to him, God says, let his people go. And these guys are the slaves building his empire. This is a bad idea, God. I like the first option. The option where you said, I've come down to rescue the people. This is a good option. 
This other option is no good. See, I want to keep hanging out with the sheep and the goats. And I want to chase them all around and find bushes that aren't on fire speaking to me. You want me to go do this world ruler confrontation deal. I'm not into that one. No, I want you to go. Go? God, this is horrible. All right, let's think this out, God. Logically, let's have a conversation. Now, see, this obviously isn't in the text, but I'm pretty sure this is what happened because this is what I would have said. So, obviously, this is what I think they must have said. God's standing there, and this bush is on fire, and I would be saying things like this. Because when Moses, remember what he says, he says, who am I that I should go? See, here's my interpretation of that. Uh, God, you want me to go to a world ruler and tell them what to do. I have an idea. Why don't we find a guy who's really skilled in diplomacy? This guy should be the guy you go. You don't want me. I'm out chasing sheep. This doesn't qualify me as like being secretary of state, God. You need to find a guy that's skilled in diplomacy. And more than that, you probably need to find a military commander. Because the minute you go bossing around world rulers, they don't like that. And they're going to be not so happy about the fact that I came in here telling them what to do with their country. And so you need to find somebody who's prepared for battle. God, who do you think I am that I should be the one to go? And Moses asks this question. He says, who am I? And look at what God says. His reply is simply this. I will be with you. That's the answer. The answer to the question, who am I, is this. You are the one I am with. You are the one I am with. That's the answer. The answer to why you go when it's disruptive and it's unsettling is because God promises to be with you when you go. And therefore, it doesn't matter how disruptive it is. It doesn't matter how unsettling it is. You go because God is with you. And you see, this is the problem with our faith most of the time. Most of the time, we are willing to have faith that is so sure that we're going to obey God because this is what God wants us to do and we're so willing to have that kind of faith and we're so willing to exercise that kind of obedience and trust as long as it's reasonable. But when it's unreasonable, then we're certain God can't be part of this thing. Because God would never ask us to do something unreasonable, would He? You see, most of us have this idea that we will follow Jesus as long as what He asks of us is something that we can logically work out in our mind that makes sense and it's reasonable. But when it's unreasonable, then surely this can't be what God wants for us. And so what happens is, is that we find that God is speaking to us about something. And we're looking to our friends and we're saying, you know, I've been thinking about something and I feel like God's saying this to me. And our friends say, well, that's ridiculous. You know, God would never say anything like that. That doesn't sound anything like God. And yet, nine times out of ten, it sounds a lot like God because half the things he says in the Bible sound ridiculous. Go to the world's ruler and tell him, let my people go. God, what what do you want me, how am I supposed to do that? Uh, Just take a staff with you and throw it on the ground. It'll turn into a snake and that'll be good enough. What? What? This is horrible, God. You've got to come up with a better idea. How about, I got a good idea. Don't you have some angels or something that can come? What about the big one? The, the, The dude Gabriel with the sword. Can't he come? And while we're at it, where's Michael? Isn't he in some kind of important name? Bring this guy. I want the big ones. 
And I especially want the guys that I saw that were like ninja angels on the Bible series on the History Channel. Those guys, bring them with me. This is reasonable faith. And God says, no. You go, and you know who's going with you? Me. And therefore, it's going to be reasonable because it's faith that's beyond reason. Now you see, God sends a person from his home and his family to establish a people. And then, when it's time to deliver those people, he sends another person to come and deliver the people from out from under the rule of the evil ruler Pharaoh. But you remember what I said in the beginning? Every world ruler is listening to the voice of the serpent. And so therefore, there's a power that's behind the world's rulers. And the question becomes, who delivers us from that power? And so when it's time for the ultimate deliverance, not the exodus out from Egypt, but the exodus from sin and Satan and death, the God who says go becomes the God who goes. And that's the incarnation of Jesus. It's when the angel appears to Joseph and he says to Joseph, Hey, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because the child that she will give birth to, his name will be Jesus. And he will save his people from their sins. And you will call him Emmanuel, God with us. And so when Jesus comes, Jesus comes and guess what Jesus does? Jesus does exactly what God has asked every single person he's ever called to do. And that is Jesus acts in obedience to God even when it's unreasonable, even when it's disruptive, and even when it's unsettling. And so God calls Jesus and Jesus goes to the cross. And I want you to realize that the cross is the greatest act of faith in human history that is disruptive and unsettling. Because you see, when you're in the garden and you're praying and you're saying, Oh Lord, if there's any way out of this, not my will, but your will be done. Because this doesn't sound like the kind of thing that makes a lot of sense, does it? It doesn't sound like reasonable faith, does it? When we say things like, Hey, do you think it's reasonable for me to obey God? Oh, sure. Do you think it would be reasonable for me to lay down my life for other people? Ah, it doesn't sound so reasonable. you got other things you need to think of. You know, Think of yourself here. And yet Jesus goes to the cross. And the only thing he knows when he goes to the cross is, is that I'm going to entrust myself to the Father's hands. And if I entrust myself to the Father's hands, no matter what happens, I trust that he will raise me up again and he will make things right. And that's where faith, that's where the rubber meets the road. Is there a place in our life where we're willing to say, you know what, no matter what happens, I can look to Jesus and I can see the ultimate example of faith. And I can say, this was disruptive. It's unsettling and disruptive to die but I can be disrupted and I can be unsettled and I can practice faith and I can obey God because no matter what happens I have a promise and that is that God who was faithful to Abraham he was faithful to Moses and he was faithful to Jesus even unto death to raise him up again will be faithful to me and if I give my life for the Lord he will be faithful and even if I'm dead at the hands of the powers of this world it will be God who will raise me from the dead because Christ has led the great exodus and sin has been conquered and Satan has been conquered and death no longer has a power over me because Christ owns and has power over death. 
And that's what God calls us to. And so we come finally to this place in which Jesus has been crucified and he's been raised from the dead. And guess what Jesus then says to his disciples? Go. Go. Matthew 28. Listen to this great commission. Jesus says to the disciples, go. Go. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now watch on the next slide. Therefore, go. Go and do what? Leave my family? Go rescue them from me? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always. You see, the answer to our life is always found in Jesus. It's always found in Jesus. God says to Abram, go from the place you know. Disrupt your life. Let your life be unsettled. Don't worry, I'll be with you. Moses, go to the world's ruler and say to him, let my people go. Who am I to do this? I'm with you. And Jesus says to us, go make disciples of all nations. Who am I to do this? I am with you always. And that's the call of God for every one of us. Will we exercise this sort of faith that says, even if it disrupts my life, even if my life is unsettled, even if it's unreasonable at times, I will be convinced that when I follow God in faithfulness and obedience to Him, that He will be with me and my identity will be found as this. I am one whom Christ is with. And that's what matters. You see, the problem for most of us is this. Most of us think like this. We say to ourselves, I'm going to figure it all out. And once I have it all figured out, then I'm going to obey. And that's not the way we do it. It's the opposite. I'm going to obey. And once I obey, I'll figure it all out. Now, that doesn't sit well with us, does it? Hey, because you know what? I'm going to tell you something. This, that's not the kind of advice that your retirement planner is going to give you. It's not. But let me just speak to that for a moment. You know what the problem is? The problem is, is that most of us are convinced that Jesus is trustworthy enough to entrust our eternal life with. But most of us are not convinced that Jesus is trustworthy enough to entrust our life right now with. You see, do you believe Jesus is the wisest person who's ever lived and that he knows best how to live? Well, then here's what that means. That means that you have to begin to realize that Jesus is smart enough and wise enough and trustworthy enough to obey and follow in every area of your life. Not just the parts of your life that you think that he's qualified to give you advice on. This is where we have to come to grips and wrestle with our faith and our obedience. Is Jesus trustworthy and wise in all areas of life and most of us say readily yes we confess that but we don't function that way do we we don't function that way because here's what we think we don't say it but here's what we're thinking ah you know but jesus didn't have google and you know there's some things he couldn't look up he didn't know jesus you know he didn't know about the nasdaq and that's important stuff and uh you know jesus he didn't know about my boss And Jesus didn't know about this. And there's a lot of stuff Jesus didn't know about. And so whenever Jesus says things that sound opposite 
of reasonable, then here's what we do. We say, I'm following Jesus. And we're walking, I'm following Jesus. Here we go. Oh, now Jesus, mm, we're going to take this way around. Yeah, we're not going to step in your footsteps there because I was walking in your footsteps because that's what a disciple does. But that one, it had blood in it. And I didn't want the blood part on me. I'm walking this way now. Ah, that one, that footstep's not a good foot. That, that's got a footstep. Is that suffering? Ah, out on that one. Let's walk this way. Yeah. Jesus, you know, this is the end of the road here. I'll stop here. Obedience beyond this part looks bad. There's not even a road in front of me. I don't know where to go. If I walk any further, it may be doom. I'm not going any further, Jesus. But it's great. This is a good, comfortable place for you and me, Jesus. Let's stay here. Let's just stay here for the rest of our time together. This is a good place. This place right here, this is the place of Bible study. And this is the place of hanging out and being with my church friends. What lies beyond this doesn't look good. This isn't a good place. Jesus, this is a horrible place. Jesus, there's a cross up there. Didn't Jesus say, if anyone would come after me, let them take up their cross and follow me daily? You see, the problem is, is that we all want to follow Jesus until it comes to the cross. We all want to follow Jesus as long as it's reasonable. We all want to follow Jesus until we come to the place where it's unreasonable and it's disruptive and it's unsettling and it pushes us out of our comfort zone and we say, oh no, what now? Oh no, what now? God's way of dealing with the problem of evil in the world is that faithfulness and faith that was disruptive and unsettling matched the disruptive, unsettling forces of evil. And humanity, which had ushered evil into the world, was now going to be the part of the solution in which a human, Jesus, with faithful humans following him in disruptive and unsettling faith, are willing to also be the ones that usher evil back out of the world. And so the question simply becomes this. Will we obey? Will we follow Jesus faithfully? No matter where he calls us, will we follow Jesus faithfully? You see, there are things I'm sure in your life, just like my life, you know, you say, that God's really been speaking to me about this. But you know what happens? Is that we start trying to plan and plot. Ah, I don't know if this is good. We better get all the pieces oriented. We better figure out the strategy. and We better make sure we have all the ducks lined up. And all the time, Jesus is just saying, look, just follow me. Just obey and follow and trust and know that I am good. And look back to these people. Look back to Abraham. He's not some just old guy a long time ago. He's part of your story. Look back to Moses. He's not just some guy a long time ago. He's part of your story. Hebrews 12 tells us that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. These are the witnesses. It's our turn to run this leg of the race. And we have to run it with the same sort of faith and obedience that they ran it with. And so where is God calling you right now to trust Him? Where is God calling you in this moment to obey Him and to exercise faith? Where are the places in your life where you know for a fact that, and you can't get away from it? It's just every day, it's just after you. I know God is calling me to this. I know God is calling. I've been sensing the Lord speak to me about this, and I just keep running away. Look, be like Abram. Be like Jesus. Don't be like Jonah. 
Listen to God. Stop running. You say, but it's going to be disruptive. Don't worry about it. It's going to be unsettling. It's okay. God will be with you. God will be with you. Amen? All right. Let's pray. We'll ask all of our uh, prayer team to come forward for any of you that have prayer. And, and as I pray, you know, if, if there are things in your life you've been sensing God really speaking to you about something, then uh, just come forward and uh, let these people pray with you. And just surrender to the Lord those places in your life where you're afraid to trust Him. And just say, you know, I'm going to trust you even though I don't know what the outcome will be. But I'm going to do it based on one thing, and that is that you'll be with me. And just trust Him. Lord Jesus, you're trustworthy. In every area of our life, you're good. And so, Lord, we ask that you would increase our faith. Give us a strong sense of your presence and your goodness to us. Lord, work deep within us so that, Lord, we are willing to exercise faith that is unreasonable, that's disruptive, that's unsettling. Not because we're certain of the outcome, but because we're certain that you will be with us in the midst of the journey and you'll be with us in the outcome. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, I've been asked to let you all know that there's some kind of connect the dots deal happening at a hub. And so you can go out there. I'm not sure if they're going to give you some pens to draw on paper or something, but there's some kind of connect the dots game. And so go to that and uh, have a great week, all right?